the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Christmas was a good one, and Christmas Eve was a good one. I had a fantastic holiday, and uh, we'll be with you today and tomorrow, and then we'll all go out and have another couple of holidays. I won't be back until Wednesday of next week. Uh, Robert Steinbach will fill for me on Monday. So uh, before we go any further, though, the president made a surprise visit to Iraq and to Germany to visit troops. And he gave a speech to the troops in Iraq, and here's what he had to say. First of all, at ease, at ease. Let's have a good time. Let's have a good time. And we had an incredible meeting that lasted for about an hour. And you have no idea what we've come up with. You're going to be so happy. You're going to be so happy. I want to just first say thank you for everything, and on behalf of... Melania and myself, we had a great flight in. So I want to thank you, honey. Come say hello, honey. Just say hello. I'm very honored to be here tonight. I thank you for your service, for your sacrifice, and keeping us safe and free. I'm very proud of you. And uh, in behalf of our nation, I'm wishing you a Merry Christmas and a happy and prosperous New Year. Thank you again and to your families. <laughs> Let's let her make the speech, right? Yeah, she's great. Very popular first lady and a great person. And I want to thank General La Camera for the incredible job he's done. And I was just saying we had a meeting with him and some of your great representatives. And, and we have some ideas that are more than ideas that are going to be just, we like to win. Do we like to win? We're going to win. I want to thank everyone at Al-Assad Air Base, uh, special people. We came in, we were we felt very safe coming in. It was a pretty uh, difficult journey in certain ways, but uh, we felt very, very good, very safe. And also, we knew exactly where we were going, and we're going to say hello to you and to wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Very important. Thank you very much. Great job. So, Milani and I are thrilled to be here with the extraordinary men and women of the American Armed Forces, the greatest military and especially as we get all of this 
billions and billions of dollars of new equipment that I approved over the last two years. You're getting such new equipment. Your eyes are popping, right? Your eyes are popping. You're getting the best equipment in the world. As you know, it was being very rapidly depleted, and it wasn't good. We weren't going to let that happen to you or to our country. And I just want you to relax. Let's have a good time for a few minutes. And then I'll be heading to another location, and then uh, I'll be heading back. But I have you totally in mind. Totally in mind. We came to Al-Assad to share our eternal gratitude for everything you do to keep America safe, strong, and free. Though you are thousands of miles away from your home and your loved ones, I hope you all had a Merry Christmas. I also know that speaking for your families, they are missing you and they love you. And you know, they're every bit a part of your success. They make it possible. So they're very special to us, all of the families. It's because of your sacrifice that America's families can celebrate in safety and in peace. And we're doing great back at home. There are many incredible patriots to recognize here, right now. And I'd like to start by say a few words for Colonel Michael Maddox. Colonel, thank you very much. Thank you, Colonel. Great job. Thank you, Colonel. No games. I can see, I know people. No games with the Colonel. No games with your general, right? Not a lot of games. It's called, they want to win. I want to thank the 201st Regional Support Group. One that everybody knows of, even back in the States. Task Force Thunder and their Lieutenant Colonel Kent Park. There's a reason for that name, Thunder, isn't there? The 443rd Air Expeditionary Squadron and their great commander, Major Dicey Ritz. Where is Dicey? Thank you. Great, fellas. Great. The 1st Expeditionary Rescue Group and their commander, Colonel Michael Gurshard. Where's Michael? Thank you. Thank you, fellas. The 3rd Cavalry Regiment and their commander, Colonel Jonathan Byram. Brigadier General Austin Renforth. Where's Austin? Austin. Thank you, Austin. Thanks, Austin. Everyone at the Special Operations Joint Task Force. Thank you. Where the hell are they? And all personnel who reside at Camp Havoc. You know what that means, Camp Havoc. Also joining us this evening is the U.S. Ambassador to Iraq, Douglas Silliman. Douglas, thank you very much. Great job, Douglas. Great job. The courageous men and women at Al-Assad Air Base are on the leading edge of our fight to vanquish America's terrorist enemies. You know that. The other reason I'm here today is to personally thank you and every service member throughout this region 
for the near elimination of the ISIS territorial caliphate in Iraq and in Syria. Two years ago, when I became president, they were a very dominant group. They were very dominant. Today, they're not so dominant anymore. Great job. I looked at a map, and two years ago, it was a lot of red all over that map. And now you have a couple little spots, and that's happening very quickly. That's happening very quickly. You'll be seeing that. I want to just say great job. And we'll be watching ISIS very closely. We'll be watching them very, very closely. The remnants of ISIS. No enemy on earth can match the awesome strength of American soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines. Nobody's even close. And nobody is even close in terms of our equipment. We make the greatest equipment in the world. Whether it's missiles or ships or anything you want to name, we have the greatest in the world. The jet fighters, the new F-35, the Super F-18s. We have the greatest fighter jets in the world. We make the greatest equipment in the world. But you strike fear into the hearts of our enemies and bring comfort to all of our allies and those who cherish peace. And we want peace. And the best way to have peace is strength. When we're strong, we're going to have peace. If we're not strong, you know what happens. So we're stronger than ever. And very soon, when it all comes in, when that equipment keeps flowing, it's being made, much of it now, there'll be nobody ever in history that's even close. American and coalition forces have had one military victory after another over the last two years against ISIS, including the retaking of both Mosul in Iraq and Raqqa in Syria. We've liberated more than 20,000 square miles of territory. Think of what that is, 20,000. 20,000 acres is a lot. Think of what 20,000 square miles is. It's a lot. This was all formally held by ISIS and liberated more than 3 million civilians from ISIS's bloodthirsty control. The men and women stationed at al-Assad have played a vital role in the military defeat of ISIS in Iraq and in Syria. Because of these gains, our service members in Syria can now return home to their families. Some will come here for a stay, but a lot of them are going to be going back home where they want to be with their families. They've done a fantastic job. Originally, years ago, they came here and it was supposed to be for three to four months, and that was a long time ago. That was many years ago. But what a job you have done. What a job they have done. I made it clear from the beginning that our mission in Syria was to strip ISIS of its military strongholds. We're not nation-building. Rebuilding Syria will require a political solution, and it's a solution that should be paid for by its very rich neighboring countries, not the United States. Let them pay for it, and they will. They will. In fact, Saudi Arabia yesterday, you probably read, stepped up to the plate 
and has already made a commitment of substantial funds for development. And President Erdogan of Turkey has also agreed to take out any remnants of ISIS. And we'll be working with them. We're going to be working with them. Our presence in Syria was not open-ended and was never intended to be permanent. Eight years ago, we went there for three months, and we never left. But now we're doing it right. And we're going to finish it off. One year ago, I gave our generals six more months in Syria. I said, go ahead, get them. And it turns out it was really a year and a half ago. I said, go get them. We need six months. Go get them. And they said, give us another six months. I said, go get them. Then they said, go. Can we have one more, like, period of six months? I said, nope. Nope. I said, I gave you a lot of six months. And now we're doing it a different way. And we're doing it. And you're doing it, folks. You're doing it. Just the remnants. The men and women who serve are entitled to clear objectives and the confidence that when those objectives are met, they can come home and be with their families. Our objective in Syria was always to retake the territory controlled by ISIS. Some people said we've already retaken 99 percent. That's a number that comes up a lot. And if you look at the map before and after, it looks like 99 percent. Now that we have done so, the nations of the region must step up and take more responsibility for their future. And also, they have to confront those remnants of ISIS and take them out very easily if, after we're totally finished, they're even left at all. There will be a strong, deliberate, and orderly withdrawal of U.S. forces from Syria. Very deliberate, very orderly while maintaining the U.S. presence in Iraq to prevent an ISIS resurgence and to protect U.S. interests, and also to always watch very closely over any potential reformation of ISIS, and also to watch over Iran. We'll be watching. While American might can defeat terrorist armies on the battlefield, each nation of the world must decide for itself what kind of future it wants to build for its people and what kind of sacrifices they are willing to make for their children. America shouldn't be doing the fighting for every nation on Earth, not being reimbursed in many cases at all. If they want us to do the fighting, they also have to pay a price and sometimes that's also a monetary price. So we're not the suckers of the world. We're no longer the suckers, folks. And people aren't looking at us as suckers. And I love you, folks, because most of you are nodding your head this way. We're respected again as a nation. We're respected again. America is safer and peace is more possible because of the incredible courage and devotion of every patriot here tonight. Some people say, well, maybe somebody comes from the area and they hit us on our homeland. If that happens, they will suffer consequences over here, 
like nobody has ever suffered before. Okay, we're going to take a break right here. We'll come back and hear the remainder of the president's speech to the troops of Iraq here on the Dave Ellswick Show. So if you just joined us, I'm playing the president's speech that he gave to the troops Christmas Day in Iraq. He made a surprise visit, showed up. Uh, He and the first lady were there. Big, big cheers for the first lady. And then the president delivered this speech. Let's hear the rest of it. Let me just tell you, and I hope they hear that loud and clear, And that's not a threat. That's going to be a fact. If anything should happen at all, nobody will ever have suffered the consequences that they will suffer. Just remember I said it. We will honor your welcome. You're welcome. We will honor your service by doing everything in our power to defend our homeland and to stop terrorists from entering America's shores. And that includes strengthening of our borders. I don't know if you folks are aware of what's happening. We want to have strong borders in the United States. The Democrats don't want to let us have strong borders. Only for one reason. You know why? Because I want it. If I said, you know, I think just standing here looking at all these brilliant young faces, these warriors, you're warriors. You know, you're modern-day warriors. That's what you are. But he gave me an idea. Just looking at this warrior group. I think I'll say, I don't want the wall. And then they're going to give it to me. I figured out the solution. First lady. (laughs) Tell Nancy Pelosi, I don't want the wall. Oh, we want the wall. And we get the wall. (laughs) That's another way of doing it. That's another way of doing it. Now, we have to have it. And, you know, not only human trafficking, drugs... Illegals, a lot of criminals, bad records. We've seen murderers come in through the, you saw what happened with the caravan, as we call it. Caravan of thousands of people. And by the way, our Border Patrol did an incredible job, and our military did an incredible job, and local law enforcement on the various parts of the border did an incredible job. And those caravans are slowly breaking up and they're going back where they came from and they have to come into our country legally, legally. And that's what you're fighting for. You know, when you think about it, you're fighting for borders in other countries. And they don't want to fight the Democrats for the border of our country. Doesn't make a lot of sense. At this sacred time of the year, our thoughts turn to the American heroes who gave their last breath in defense of our country, including the seven brave souls who perished last March on the Jolly 51 rescue helicopter. You know exactly who we're talking about. Some of you are great friends of theirs. Through their incredible sacrifice, our fallen heroes have achieved immortality. That's what it is. It's immortality. Immortality. They will live forever in the hearts of their countrymen, in your hearts, and in the history of the United States of America. They will live forever. The dignity and glory of the American warrior is recorded 
on the fields of battle and in acts of valor that will live for all of time. You're going to be remembered for all of time. And under my administration, we're winning now. We're not playing to lose slowly like they've been doing for 19 years. We're fighting in areas where we shouldn't be fighting and spending hundreds of billions of dollars doing it. Now, you have the right thought process now going for the first time in a long time. Thank you. We want to fight where it's meaningful, which is basically what you're just saying. And you understand that better than anybody. The people in this room understand that better. Your general understands. I just met with them. Your general understands it. We want to fight for the meaningful things. No force in history has done more for the cause of justice and peace. I want each and every one of you to know that we will always protect those who protect us. You protect us. We are always going to protect you. And you just saw that because you just got one of the biggest pay raises you've ever received, unless you don't want it. Does anybody here... Is anybody here willing to give up the big pay raise you just got? Raise your hand, please. Ah, I don't see too many hands. Okay. Don't give it up. It's great. You know what? Nobody deserves it more. You haven't gotten one in more than 10 years. More than 10 years. And we got you a big one. I got you a big one. I got you a big one. They had plenty of people that came up. They said, you know, we could make it smaller. We could make it 3%. We could make it 2%. We could make it 4%. I said, no, make it 10%. Make it more than 10%. Because it's been a long time. It's been more than 10 years. Been more than 10 years. That's a long time. And, you know, you really put yourselves out there. and You put your lives out there. So congratulations. We're fighting every day to ensure you have... Also, the tools, the equipment, the training and resources that you need to fight and to win. All right. That was the president in Iraq. Time for us to hear the news. I don't I hope you enjoyed hearing the president. Did you know that's the first time the first time that the president and the first lady visited troops in a war zone. That's the first time that the president and the first lady, not just, I mean, the president, some of the presidents have gone to uh, war zones before, but they've never taken the first lady with them, and Melania wanted to go. She asked to go. And the president says, sure. Sounded like to me that the troops enjoyed that she came over there. They all went crazy when he introduced her. All right, so, you know, I have been one of the, I've been talking about building a wall on the southern border since Bush was president. Many of you who listen to me on a different radio station may still have one of the build the wall bumper stickers that I gave out on my show there. And uh, if you do, I appreciate that you did that. Because I've said all along, we need the wall for a variety of reasons. Number one, you want to know who you're letting into your country. Uh, 
you know, you want to know that you're not letting more terrorists in. And if you listen to the president talking to to Schumer and Pelosi back in the Oval Office a few weeks ago, he made it clear that they catch at least 10 terrorists a week on the southern border. 10 a week. You do the math. You know, we're talking about people who are coming to this country probably to set up, you know, shadow groups, uh, setting up cells that, uh, you know, we have to discover. And you go, oh, Dave, that doesn't happen. Well, what about the guy that was out in, was it in Nevada that he had that compound with the kids and he was teaching them how to assassinate teachers? Don't tell me it's not happening. It's going on. There, There is very good documentation that there was an ISIS set up outside uh, the military in um, El Paso, Texas. Been shut down now. Just telling you, there's, there's people coming in our country who don't want to come in. I had a discussion over the holidays with a person, and I asked them, I said, do you have a door on your house? And they said, yeah, but I never lock it. And I looked at them and I said, that's interesting. I said, let me just ask a couple of questions. I said, do you not worry that somebody might come through your door that you don't want in your house? And their answer was, I don't worry about who comes into my house unless they're there to do me harm. And I said, well, how do you know whether they're there to do you harm or not? Do you just let them to walk in and go to your uh, refrigerator or your pantry and start eating your food without asking? And uh, they just, I mean, I got to tell you, that that to me is just being stupid. That's stupidity. And if that's, and I said, and, and what bigger home you got than your country? You don't have, I said, you don't have borders. You don't have a country. Do you understand that? And they could not get their hands around that. And that seems to me a pretty small, uh, logical, uh, you know, argument to get your hands around. That's easy to understand that without borders, you do not have a country. So anyway, we, we talked and I decided to let it go. It was, it was Christmas Day and I, I stopped. The other reason I have always said that you need to uh, check the people who are coming in is because, you know, we may all feel like our health system has its problems, and it does. There's no doubt about it. It's got its problems. But we still have a good health system. And except for parents that are so stupid, they'd rather listen to a woman that has big boobs than to listen to... uh, Uh, doctors tell you that immunizations are good, not bad. The person with the big boobs tell you they're bad. Uh, They get their kids immunized, get the immunizations they're supposed to have, so we have just about eradicated some diseases. Some of them are coming back, and why now? Because we are bringing in people from other countries that don't do what we do, and their children still and their countries still suffer with outbreaks of these diseases. That's why we had the outbreaks we had in measles last year or earlier this year. I'm talking in the past already because we're almost 2019. 
That's why we had the mumps. Those kids, we know the ground zero there by the Department of Health of Arkansas was the Marshallese that are up there in what, Springfield, up there in the northwest corner of Arkansas. Well, the Department of Homeland Security now has requested that the CDC investigate the cause of the growing number of sick migrants illegally crossing the U.S.-Mexico border. They revealed that to reporters uh, yesterday morning. Honduran migrants, part of a caravan of thousands uh, attempting to reach the U.S. and other countries, are bringing sick people here to this country. We've had a spike in tuberculosis. Maybe you didn't know this. I've talked about it. I've had Dr. Yamauchi talk about it, and we have found that we're not just he and I, but you know the uh, the specialists out there, the people keeping track of this, have found out it's coming from illegals coming into our country where tuberculosis, uh, tuberculosis is not, uh, you know, taken care of the way it is here in this country. A DHS official told reporters that literally dozens of sick migrants are being transported to hospitals across the border each day and that growing numbers of children showing illness are present in Border Patrol custody. Quote, we're doing dozens of hospital trips every single day with children that have fevers or manifest other medical conditions. That's according to the CBP Commissioner Kevin McAleen. An official also told reporters that DHS Secretary Kristen Nielsen is requesting that Mexican authorities also investigate the living conditions of migrant holding camps across the border to see if that is the source of the illnesses. DHS officials revealed their concern during a phone call to discuss the plight of an 8-year-old Guatemalan child who died in border Patrol custody Monday. The child's death came just days after DHS also announced the death of a seven-year-old girl who died in mid-December. The children's deaths have brought intense scrutiny on the holding conditions and proceedings of DHS, which says they are simply overburdened by thousands of daily illegal border crossings. Now, I'm going to talk more about this. Uh, If you're listening at 5, I hope that you listen to 3 o'clock because Michael Cutler is going to be on with me. And if you didn't get to hear it, go back and listen to the podcast because he'll have more information on this and other uh, issues like about the wall. Uh, A DHS official noted that prior to these two incidents, Border Patrols had not lost a child in custody in over a decade. Both of these children came from the same country, the same area of that country, and it's not, we're not being told what country it is yet. This was remarkable, they claim, given the hundreds of thousands who have passed through its holding facilities in the interim period. So it's important to all America that we make sure that the people coming into our country, and America America is your and my country. It's not everybody who wants to come to America's country. You and I were born here. 
you and I have been vested into this country. You and I have paid taxes, have helped our our fellow neighbors, have uh, gone out of our way for schools and everything else for our own children. And it's not right that people think they can just move in. If it's all right to come across the border, then it's all right for them to pick the lock on your door of your house and move in and just become squatters. It's okay. You shouldn't be able to do anything. You should have to take care of them. They should be able to eat your food. They should be able to sleep in the beds in your home without even asking. It all breaks down that simply. I mean, I love that Pelosi, not a dime for, uh, or uh, a penny for a wall. Have you seen the picture of her house? Have you? If you haven't, go look it up. You can Google it and see it. And you can see about the eight-foot-tall wall that's all the way around her house. Why she got the wall around her house? Why does she have a wall around her house? It's a rhetorical question. Take a look at Hillary Clinton's house. See, she's one of, they're, they're two of the special ones. Not all of us can build eight-foot walls around our property. Not all of us can live in gated communities where you have armed guards to keep people from coming in. Just bottom line, I'm just making a very simple point. We have borders and we have them for a reason. Let's use them. And, and I love it. We won't build a wall. Now, we'll give you all the technology you need to have a high-tech wall, but we're not going to give you the money to build a, you know, a, a physical wall. What's the difference? In, in, in the left's mind, if just because it's not made of concrete, suddenly it's, and it's turning back people, somehow it's, it's different. Oh, by the way, one last thing I wanted to make, uh, make uh, mention of. Do you hear? See where the former, uh, that the former uh, uh, military guy that was hurt, disabled in the military, had a uh, GoFundMe page, and they ra- they've raised over now sixteen million dollars to help build the wall. Zach, did you know about the other group that was raising money to give ladders? to the illegals so they can scale the walls? Did you hear about that? Did you hear how much money they've raised? $160,000. $160,000. Now, who wants the wall more? Americans or, uh, you know, open border fanatic idiots? I would say it's real Americans that believe in protecting your country. All right, let's get a break in, then we'll come back. An American is the first to do this in Antarctica. I'll tell you what he did first, and it's an amazing feat when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. Don't know if you've been following the news very closely during uh, this holiday period. I'll be honest. I haven't. I don't think I've spent any time on Fox, CNN, MSNBC, regular nightly news, or any of it. Haven't even looked at a paper. So I had to do some catching up to do today. Uh, as I was uh, preparing for today's show. Well, an Oregon man has now become the first person to traverse Antarctica alone without any assistance 
and he finished up on uh, Wednesday. He trekked across the polar continent in an epic 54-day journey that was previously deemed impossible. Colin O'Brady of Portland finished a bone-chilling 930-mile trek as friends, family, and fans tracked the endurance athlete's progress in real time online. I did it, a tearful Brady said on a call to his family, gathered in Portland for the holidays, according to his wife, uh, Jenna Besaw. It was an emotional call. He seemed overwhelmed by love and gratitude, and he really wanted to say thank you to all of us. O'Brady was sleeping near the finish line in Antarctica late Wednesday, couldn't be immediately reached for comment. The 33-year-old documented his nearly entirely uphill journey, which he called the impossible first, on his Instagram page. He wrote uh, Wednesday that he covered the last roughly 80 miles in one big impromptu final push to the finish line that took well over an entire day. Quote, while the last 32 hours were some of the most challenging hours of my life, they have quite honestly been some of the best moments I have ever experienced, O'Brady posted. The day before, he posted that he was, quote, in the zone, unquote, and thought he could make it to the end in one go. Quote, I'm listening to my body and taking care of the details to keep myself safe, he wrote. I called home, talked to my mom, sister, and wife. I promised them I will stop when I need to, unquote. Though others have traversed Antarctica, they either had assistance with reinforced supplies or kites that helped propel them forward. In 2016, British explorer Henry Worsley died attempting an unassisted solo trip across Antarctica, collapsing from exhaustion toward the end of the trip. Worsley's friend and fellow English adventurer Lewis Rudd is currently attempting an unaided solo in Worsley's honor and was competing against O'Brady to be the first to do it. Esau said O'Brady plans to stay on Antarctica until Rudd finishes his trip, hopefully in the next few days. It's a small club, she joked. His intention is to wait for Lewis and have kind of a celebratory moment with the only other person on the planet to have accomplished the same thing. Well, Brady described in detail the ups and downs along the way since he began the trek on November 3rd. He had to haul 375 pounds of gear largely uphill and over wave-like ridges created by wind. Not only am I pulling my sled all day, but I'm pulling it up and over thousands of these small ridges. Uh, And it's like thousands of speed bumps created by the violent wind, he wrote in an Instagram post on November 12th. It's a frustrating process at times, to say the least, unquote. November 18th, he wrote that he awoke to find his sled completely buried from an all-night blasting of wind and snow, 
That day he battled a 30-mile-per-hour headwind for eight hours as he trudged along. There were several times I considered stopping, putting my tent back up, and calling it a day, he wrote. I wanted so badly to quit today as I was feeling exhausted and alone, but remembering all of the the positive feelings that so many people have been sending, I took a deep breath, focused on maintaining forward progress one step at a time, and managed to finish a full day. On day 37, that was December 9th, O'Brady wrote about how much he's changed, along with a selfie in which he looks almost in pain, snow gathered around his furry hat. I'm no longer the same person I was when I left on the journey. Can you see it in my face, he wrote. I've suffered, been deathly afraid, cold and alone. I've laughed and danced, cried tears of joy, and been awestruck with love and inspiration. Though Brady had initially thought he'd want a cheeseburger at the end of his nearly impossible journey, Esau said her husband has been fantasizing about fresh fish and salad because he was mostly eating freeze-dried foods. As for what's next for O'Brady, who also has summited Mount Everest, Esau says she's not entirely sure. Quote, we are just so in the moment celebrating this right now, then we'll see what's next on the horizon. That's a guy I'd like to go see speak. He does TED Talks. I'd love to go hear that guy, see what he has to say and what he has to say about life in general. All right, so when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show in the 3 o'clock hour, Michael Cutler, my uh, Mr. Know-Everything about illegal immigration, will tell you exactly why we need to make sure we get President Trump's wall erected. That's coming up next here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Second hour, if you just joined us, uh, you can catch the first hour in its entirety again at 5 o'clock if you missed it, uh, because we uh, replayed the president's speech to the troops in Iraq, and I'm sure you'll want to hear that. We talked about the wall, and we talked about uh, O'Brady, this guy who traversed Antarctica 930 miles by himself, without any kind of support teams, without any kind of using of kites that pull him along or anything like that, and uh, pulled over 300 pounds of supplies behind himself. And that walk, by the way, is almost entirely uphill. Unbelievable. And uh, he finished it yesterday, 
And I just thought uh, uh, we need to talk about that a little bit. That is quite the accomplishment. I mean, somebody swing, swims the English Channel, everybody goes nuts about it. This guy walked across Antarctica. There's another guy that's a few days behind him that left at the same time. He made the final push of 80 miles in 32 hours straight, pulling that uh, that sled behind him. 32 hours. Did 80 miles in 32 hours. That's incredible. Really is incredible. And uh, when you consider how many miles he had already been trudging across, it, uh, that, that, that part where it was talking about him, uh, uh, Zach, and he went against a 30-mile-an-hour wind in a snowstorm when he said, I felt alone, I was tired, you know, I cried, you know, all that, you know, listen to that, to hear that, hear him talking. I mean, out in the middle of nowhere, I, I got to believe you're, when you stand out in Antarctica, you look any way you want to look and you don't see nothing. It is zero, maybe. I guess you see some rises of maybe some hills and things, but it's you better have a good pair of sunglasses. That's all I gotta say. You're gonna get snow blindness walking in that area. Unbelievable. Oh, something else I wanted to mention. I may I may talk about this a little bit more in uh, uh, I don't know in some depth. You know what this year is weather wise, Zach. The fewest tornadoes on record. Only 10 people have been killed in any tornadic activity in 2018. That's the lowest ever. But I thought climate change was supposed to bring us bigger and more terrible storms. And it would seem to... See, this is the thing about climate change. They cherry pick what they want to talk about. Of course, they changed the name because they could never be right about whether uh, things were warming or whether things were getting colder. I mean, when I was in high school, and that's going back a ways, we were not riding brontosauruses then, uh, but we we were, uh, you know, walking, still walking uphill both ways uh, to get to school. But the bottom line is, um, when I was in high school, and I still got uh the life magazine uh at home for whatever reason i kept it um in my stack of different mag- magazine covers i've kept that i thought as i was growing up and stuff would be important to have and it said the coming ice age on it and uh, now they're back again saying a coming ice age we got warm, and that's why they changed from going, you know, global warming, global cooling to now climate change. Because now they can look at anything and just say, "Yeah, it's climate change." Well, let me just say this: I'll go along. We got climate change. I get up one. I got up this morning. It was raining, and uh, it's not raining anymore. The climate changed. Just it happens. And in Arkansas, it always seems like it happens more often than anywhere else, you know? So that that's uh, just something to, to think about. All right, when I want to talk about 
illegal immigration, when I want to talk about what's going on the border, when I want to talk about the wall, I always talk to the man I know is in the know, and that's Michael Cutler. was with INS for years, and uh, he may not be with them now, but he still can talk to his friends and, and keep us up to date on what's going on on the border. And, Michael, the big story today is is that the CDC is down on the border trying to find out are, are more and more, you know, sick people coming across our, uh, our border. What do you think? Well, that's a big concern. You know, most people, uh, the open borders crowd, the globalists, will keep talking about Ellis Island. But let's not forget that Ellis Island was, after all, a quarantine station. Uh, in fact, when it opened, it was the biggest medical facility in the United States. And, and by the way, the reason that they were concerned back then, first of all, when Ellis Island opened, there was no antibiotics. So there was great concern about epidemic, uh, epidemics. And, you know, it doesn't take much. Uh, you know, pink eye can spread like wildfire. And if there's no way of treating it, pink eye can develop into other diseases. So they were very concerned. There was another concern they had that nobody thinks about or wants to talk about. And when you walk in, into Ellis Island, and I've been there. Uh, my mom came through Ellis Island. Others of my family came through. I was born in America, but I visited Ellis Island. And you're struck by the grand staircase. When you walk up those stairs, they were there for a purpose because they didn't have electrocardiograms. They didn't have the electronic equipment that we have today. But this was a good way to see if people were physically fit. Mm -hmm. So there were doctors and nurses strategically stationed along the staircase that if people were huffing and puffing and couldn't get up the stairs, the presumption was they were not physically fit enough to be able to support themselves because back then so much of the work involved manual physical labor. So they were rejected and sent home, even if it meant splitting up families. So think about that. You know, the ability to enter America uh, is only a right for American citizens, not for non-citizens. And that's true for all countries. So there's so much mythology that's being spewed by the globalists in both political parties because immigration has become a delivery system. And I think I mentioned it the last time you had me on the show, and I want you to know how much I appreciate being on your program, Dave. But it's a delivery system that delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor an unlimited supply of foreign students and foreign tourists, and for the immigration lawyers, and you can find them in both houses. I mean, Bob Goodlatte, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, he's going to be retiring, is an immigration lawyer. Before he came to Congress, he had a very successful law practice where he specialized in the dreaded H-1B visas. So this is about generating clients for lawyers. Where in that conversation did you hear anything about what's good for America or Americans? No, of course not. Of course not. Let me just give you a, a, a ground zero look here in Arkansas. This year in Arkansas, we've had an outbreak of mumps that was uh, traced back to the Marshallese refugees up in northwest Arkansas. And we've had an outbreak of measles here in uh, uh, in our in our, in our uh, state, and it happened because of somebody traveled back from a foreign nation and carried it with them. I mean, it's as much as we want to bitch about medicine here in the United States. We're a pretty healthy country because we got doctors that take pretty good care of us. In these other countries, <laughs> that's kids inoculated against disease. But when you flood America with people who have no inoculation, they bring the disease exactly. With them. <laughs> 
And you know what? If you bring in an animal or a plant, they're quarantined to make sure that they're not sick, as Ellis Island did. So we have to understand that human beings are part of the animal kingdom. You know, we can get diseases just as our dogs, cats, horses, and livestock can. And, and so how in the world does anyone not get the point that if you allow people into the United States, and especially if they sneak in, we don't know they're here. We don't know what diseases they may bring. This isn't about being prejudiced. It's about being cautious. Uh, you know, I, I write for Front Page Magazine. And, right. And, and somebody commented, they just wrote about the border wall again. And they were talking about the virtual fence, which is next to worthless, by the way. Because all the virtual fence will do is tell you when somebody has entered, not stop them from entering in the first place. And then we have a shortage of Border Patrol and resources to deal with them. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to be proactive, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Stop them in the first place. And somebody commented, if you want a wall, you are a xenophobe, etc. <coughs> Pardon me. That's not the case. <coughs> Pardon me. A wall wouldn't stop people from entering, only from evading inspection. Right. That's the point. <clears throat> it's not a wall that's going to block off our ports of entry. The purpose of the wall is to funnel all persons through ports of entry so they can be inspected. That's correct. You're, but, you're exactly right. But, by, by the way, let me just break in and ask you a question. Have you heard yet? I have not heard this at all. I've been looking all over the internet for from uh, media and whatnot. Do we know what these two kids died of? Because they're both from the same country, evidently, both from the same area, and we don't know what they died of. No, I I, I don't know, Dave, and, and I'm sure that uh, they're, they're looking to find out what exactly happened. Anyway, this is what the um, CDC is, has been brought in to do, so that they can try to make a determination as to what exactly uh, happened to them that caused their deaths. And look, these deaths are a tragedy, but they wouldn't have happened if perhaps they hadn't been subjected to the uh, hostile conditions that they were exposed to, uh, or perhaps they would have died in their home country. But in any event, the, the tendency of the media and the Democrats is to say, oh, it's the Trump administration. Yeah. Let's let's slow down and understand really what happened before we start trying to assign blame. Well, they they do know this. And one of the fathers of these two children uh, admitted that the treatment that their their uh, daughter had been get, uh, given. This is the first one that died was uh, was great. No problem at, at all. And the other father had uh, they had treated the, the child uh, the child began vomiting, and he refused any further treatment. Well, look, again, I, I hate when people rush to judgment about anything. As an agent, uh, I was fact-driven, and what we really have is a real lack of facts when immigration is concerned. But so many issues, you know, just to, to digress, uh, I was listening to uh, your discussion about global warming, climate change before I came on, and I apologize for being a little bit delayed getting oh, that's to my okay. phone today. You're fine. Um, but but here's the point. You know, I was a science major originally, and two of my kids are engineers. And here's something interesting that I found. And, and, and first of all, let's begin with the notion that nobody asks questions anymore. 
we tend to blindly follow. How many people, when you have a discussion, you say to them, well, where did you hear that? Well, I've heard. They say it was on some program. Yeah, who's the they? You know, <laughs> right. The late, the late defense attorney who got O.J.'s neck out of the noose, uh, literally, um, Johnny Cochran, was right when he said, if you can't, you can't trust the messenger, if you can't trust the messenger, half the people don't even know who the messenger is that they're listening to. But <clears throat> the earth has undergone numerous ice ages yep. and thought out before humans came to the earth. So now here's the question. Were the dinosaurs driving 18-wheelers? <laughs> you know, there was a study done where they believe, and these are scientists with PhDs, there have been some videos online that you won't, I suspect, see anytime soon in the mainstream media. <clears throat> and some of these guys were the heads of government agencies and so forth. I guess they were sent packing when they wouldn't, dis- when they wouldn't agree with, with the chorus. Because this whole thing about global warming... Is about carbon tax, and you see the riots in France. Yep. It's not about protecting the environment. Look, I, I wish we would stop burning all those hydrocarbons, not because of concerns about climate, but health. It's not good for us, okay? It causes disease and cancer and emphysema. Um, if we could use clean energy, I'd be the first guy to line up for it, and I'm very much a supporter of the use of clean energy. But we need to know what we're doing. You have to be able to figure out what the strategy is and what the desired effect is before you go running around with your hair on fire. Uh, it's believed that the sun, well, we know the sun is a variable star, which means it cranks out more energy and less energy when the sun gets warmer, the earth gets warmer, when the sun gets colder, the earth gets colder, and there's more factors as well. However, it's believed that there are massive quantities of carbon dioxide that have been absorbed by the oceans. When the oceans get warm because the earth gets warm, <coughs> pardon me, what winds up happening is that the carbon dioxide comes out of the oceans. So the temperature of the earth is driving carbon dioxide, not the other way around. Correct. How's that for an interesting thought? I, I love it. I love it. I, you know, and you know what? Plants were a whole lot bigger thousands of years ago because there was more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, what would be so bad for our crops that we grow now if we got more carbon dioxide and they grow more food? <clears throat> so here's the thing. If the earth gets warmer, the plants will sprout their leaves earlier and take more carbon dioxide out of the air and will will keep their leaves longer into the, into the fall season. Again, pulling more carbon dioxide out. If we're that concerned about climate change, why in the world are we still cutting down rainforests? Yep, I'm with you. I'm with you. So, well, we, what we have, you know, this reminds me of, you know, I, I have a twisted mind. It reminds me of the old, you know, this, the ancient civilizations that would sacrifice people to the gods of the volcano so that the volcano shouldn't erupt. So, <laughs> have we really progressed from that point? Now we want to sacrifice our economy. And this is by design. This is just a way of separating countries from money. This is a, a tax program. And so um, we used to sacrifice people to keep the volcanoes from erupting. Now we want to um, take a natural phenomenon and, and find a way to monetize it. That's really what I think is really happening here. All right. So when we come back, you wrote a new article, Why We Need I pre- did. President Trump's Wall. We'll go to that when we return. My guest, Michael Cutler, is with us. He writes for Front Page. Michael Cutler, is it .com or .net? 
.net. .net. You need to check that uh, that website at least a couple of times a week to read what this man is writing. He knows from what he speaks. He has walked the halls of power and talked to people about what's going on on our borders. He's done it a lot longer than I have, although I was the first person that had bumper stickers that said, build the wall that I gave to people to put on their cars. All right, we'll be back with more here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's continue with the Dave Ellswick Show. Michael Cutler is my guest. His website, michaelcutler.net. michaelcutler.net. Michael, new article, front page magazine that you've written, dealing with why we need Trump's wall. I mean, I'm I'm sure the arguments are the same as when I was arguing why we needed Bush's wall. You know what I'm saying? Because we've had this argument many, many times, but now we're at the tipping point. We got to do it now or forever look back on the way it used to be. Well, we need the wall, obviously, as I said before, not to block people from entering the United States, but to block people from entering without inspection, you know. It's funny, the, the language is just so critical. Um, this started with Jimmy Carter when he insisted, this was back in, in the late 70s, that, and I started with the INS in 1971, but in the late 70s, Jimmy Carter said, you're not going to use the term illegal alien anymore, we're going to call them undocumented immigrants. The term alien simply means any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. That's not my definition. That's the definition that's found in the immigration laws of the United States, the Immigration and Nationality Act. <laughs> and it's important to understand that there's no insult in that definition or in the term. I believe that the reason they wanted a change in language uh, wasn't out of political correctness. It's Orwellian. You eliminate words. You eliminate the thoughts the words represent. Humans think with words. If you can control language, you can control This is straight out of 1984 and Newspeak. And so if we declare everybody who's not a citizen to be an immigrant, and we're a nation of immigrants, if you would dare deny any non-citizen entry, then you're acting against immigrants. And because we're a nation of immigrants, you're un-American and a terrible person. All right, Michael, Michael, I need you to hold your thought. News is coming up, and then we'll pick it up on the other side of news. Michael Cutler is our special guest. Be listening now to the next half hour. He's going to tell you a lot of important things that you need to know about. But right now, I'm going to tell you about, in 60 seconds, what's happening around the world. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Glad to have you with us. Michael Cutler is our guest. Michael Cutler is the man I turn to, along with the folks from FAIR. Uh, to talk about what's going on along the border. Today, Michael's with us for the hour. He was beginning uh, kind of a, 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 a dissertation about the wall and why Trump's wall is so important. And that's why I love Michael, because he comes at this from so many different angles that I just find it really um, interesting how much information he brings to us each time he's on. Uh, We're going to repeat this show, just so you'll know, uh, on next Tuesday, on New Year's Day, uh, for the best of Dave Ellswick, because I just think it's important to hear it again. It's really good information. So let me turn it over to Michael Cutler. And, Michael, it's all yours again. 
Yeah, thank you. And, and by the way, New Year's coming up. I first of all want to wish everybody a happy, healthy, peaceful, and successful New Year. But I want you to make a New Year's resolution, folks, to please get involved. You know, everyone says I'm only one person. What can I do? I want you to realize that history is written by individuals. That's a very important lesson to think about. And uh, as parents, as grandparents, as citizens, we bear responsibility to our nation, to our children and their children to protect our amazing country so that they have the sort of future that we enjoyed growing up in America. And, and you know, we've got to stand tall and against the accusations. Um, I can't tell you how frustrating it is. You know, I'm first generation American. My mom came to the United States ahead of the Holocaust. Uh, we're Jewish. My grandmother, my mother's mother was killed in Poland because of our religion. I owe this country my life. I owe my children's lives and my grandchildren's lives to America. And very often the open borders crowd, the immigration anarchists will say, oh, you're an anti-immigrant. You hate immigrants. You're a xenophobe. That's nonsense. We lock our doors at night to make certain that someone doesn't come in while we're asleep or while we're away and ransack our apartment or do harm to us. That's not being foolish. It's being prudent. And the purpose of the wall is not to keep everybody out. And it's not to keep Mexicans out of America. It's to funnel anybody and everybody who seeks entry through a port of entry so that they can be inspected, so that a record can be created of their entry into the United States, and so that we can make certain that when we admit people, we're not admitting fugitives, we're not admitting criminals, we're not admitting terrorists, and we're not admitting people who would take the jobs that Americans need to support themselves and their families. That's what the immigration laws are about. If you go to Title VIII, United States Code Section 1182, and this is not going to be a law lesson, but what I do want you to understand is that everything that I'm telling you is verifiable and based in fact and law. Title VIII, United States Code Section 1182, enumerates the categories of aliens, non-citizens, to be prevented from entering the United States. And as we started out talking about the situation with health, the first category of excludable aliens are aliens who have dangerous communicable diseases or are severely mentally ill and pose a threat to public safety. Aliens who are criminals, spies, terrorists, human rights violators, war criminals, aliens who have been previously deported or who committed fraud to obtain visas or other immigration benefits are all supposed to be kept out of the United States. There's not a single word that treats anybody differently based on race, religion, or ethnicity. If the laws made that distinction, I could not have enforced them for 30 minutes or 30 seconds, let alone 30 years, because I was with the INS for 30 years. <clears throat> it's all about protecting America and Americans. And it's remarkable that Chuck Schumer, the ranking uh, member of the Senate, the Democrat Party is, is the minority, so he's considered the ranking minority member of the Senate, uh, actually proposed legislation in 2014, almost five years ago, that would make trespassing on critical infrastructure or national landmarks a federal crime with a five-year felony. And Schumer even made note on his official Senate website of a 16-year-old boy, and that's how he described this kid, 16-year-old boy who had climbed the World Trade Center under construction um, to replace the Twin Towers that were demolished by the airliners. 
And he said that I don't care if you're an adrenaline junkie or a criminal. If you trespass, what you're doing is dangerous and you need to be in jail for five years to deter this kind of crazy behavior. The same Chuck Schumer, however, is not willing to do anything to prevent aliens from trespassing on America and, in point of fact, would provide such trespassing individuals with a pathway to United States citizenship. The hypocrisy and disconnect with reality and truth is staggering because that's all that the fence or a wall is supposed to do. We're not talking about blocking off ports of entry. I, I, I'm convinced that because of the lies and the nonsense being spewed by the mainstream media and by the Democrats and globalists within the Republican Party, that many Americans are now convinced that a wall on the border would shut off commerce between the United States and Mexico. So let's be crystal clear. Nothing could be further from the truth. The purpose of the wall is not to prevent entry of anybody into the United States, only to prevent people and cargo from entering America without being inspected, without a record being created of that entry into our country. And so this is simply about stopping trespassing. You would think that Schumer would be particularly appreciative of that effort, given that he would put a 16-year-old boy in jail for five years for trespassing on the World Trade Center when it was under construction. So the issue is for all of us to use our heads and ask the right questions and make people who claim that they are representing us to challenge them and make darn sure that they really are representing us because most of them are not. Most of them are representing the people who write their campaign contribution checks, which are nothing more than thinly disguised bribes. Uh, you know, if someone gives a guy running for Congress or a young lady running for Congress $100, there's not much expectation that they're going to get anything for the $100 except to help the campaign of that person. When people or corporations write checks for thousands and thousands of dollars, you better believe that there's an expectation that they're going to get something in return, something they could not have gotten if they didn't write the check. And if that doesn't smell of corruption to you, check to see if you could still fog a mirror. Because this whole system has become that corrupt. What do you think of that, Dave? I like that. I, I've not heard that uh, type of terminology. Can I use that as my, my own later? Be my guest. Thank you. <laughs> But, I, I mean, isn't that what we're witnessing? You know, I was not allowed to accept a cup of coffee when I was on duty as an agent. If I knocked on some guy's door because a neighbor of his was under investigation, so we were just looking for cooperation. This guy wasn't the target. He's a guy that we're, try we're hoping will work with us. If I knocked on the guy's door and he said to me, Agent Cutler, come on in. We're having coffee and cake. Why don't you join us? The only thing I was allowed to accept was a glass of ice water. Okay. So the idea was that federal employees are supposed to keep the public at arm's length so that no one gets the idea that we're their personal friend or their personal agent. So why in the world don't we insist on the same level of uh, integrity for our elected representatives? You see, the lack of integrity to the immigration system reflects a lack of integrity of our government and our politicians. Again, we come back to the system has become a delivery system 
not a system that protects us. You know, there's much talk about whether we should put the military on the border. And in fact, we do have elements of the military on the border, especially since that massive uh, surge, if you will, of the aspiring illegal aliens, the caravan of immigrants, so-called. But the reality is that DHS is supposed to back up the military. The primary mission, I want everyone to think about this, the primary mission of all five branches of the U.S. Armed Forces, the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, the Marines, and the Coast Guard, their primary mission is to keep America's enemies as far from our shores as possible. But up close and in person, that task falls to immigration law enforcement. It's the Border Patrol, it's the inspectors at the ports of entry, and it's the ICE agents. And I have to tell you, uh, both parties have created a nightmare for us. It was George W. Bush when he created DHS, an agency that was designed, in my judgment, to be dysfunctional. So I came to call DHS the Department of Homeland Surrender, included <laughs> customs with immigration, included agriculture with immigration, included um, the sky marshals with immigration. Why? In fact, John Hostetler, who chaired the House Immigration Subcommittee, and he was a conservative Republican, said that what, what um, President uh, Bush had created was immigration incoherence, making it impossible to secure the borders or enforce the laws. Of course, he, he didn't win his elections after that. And I wouldn't doubt that the Republican Party wasn't happy with the fact that he wasn't singing the globalist song that the president back then was singing. In fact, this is the reason that Donald Trump is getting into all kinds of hot water, because I can tell you that in my judgment, we have not had a, a president since maybe Eisenhower or JFK who wanted secure borders in a sovereign nation. Even Ronald Reagan gave us the visa waiver program, which yep. is very dangerous, uh, terrible, gave us the first amnesty, set the expectation, and by the way, provided a, a, um, a provision of confidentiality so that as an immigration agent, while I was expected to share immigration files with other law enforcement agencies so that if the FBI came to me and I, I had a desk at the FBI for 10 years, I had a desk at DEA for 15 years, if they came to me, if a homicide detective came to me and said, Mike, we're looking for this guy. He's known to have killed four people. We need a photograph. If the only place I had that photo was in the amnesty file, if I turned that over, I was committing a five-year felony. Why? Well, I think it was to encourage fraud, basically. And this was done in cahoots with, with what Ted Kennedy wanted. Both parties have been on the same globalist page for decades, and look at what's been happening. Wages have fallen. Gangs have set up shop in America from coast to coast and border to border. America has been flooded with, with uh, narcotics, with heroin, cocaine, meth. Um, and in fact, right now we have on trial in Brooklyn, my hometown, uh, El Chapo Guzman, mm -hmm. arguably the most prolific Mexican drug trafficker in, in the history of Mexico, his Sinaloa cartel allegedly moved over 200 tons of cocaine into the United States, along with heroin, along with meth, along with marijuana, along with other drugs. It's been responsible for an outrageous casualty count, people that were killed. And what does the, our politicians do? They legalize marijuana. Now, I want everyone to stop and think about this. While it's true that not many people who smoke pot go on to heroin, Every heroin user addict that I interviewed, because I spent half my 30 years with the Drug Task Force, I was the first INS agent 
assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA here in New York City. And so I encountered many people involved with drugs who became cooperating witnesses and so forth. Every one that I interacted with when we asked them about drug use always told us that they started with marijuana. So we have this horrific problem with opiate addiction, and we have cities and states across America legalizing pot. And here's something that occurred to me, Dave, and I was just thinking about this yesterday. So now you take a place like New York City, they're vacating warrants because of people that were caught with personal use quantities of marijuana because we're so concerned about quote-unquote social justice. Employers have every right to administer urine or other drug tests. That's correct. What happens to an employee who's found to have drugs in his or her system? They will lose their jobs. And who's going to support them? The rest of the taxpaying Americans. And so probably the next thing we're going to hear, because the argument has always been we need immigrant workers because the Americans are either too lazy or too stupid to do the jobs. And if you believe that story, I've got a wall to sell you. But now we're going to probably be hearing that Americans are too stoned to do the jobs. What we're witnessing is the dismantling of America by politicians who I refer to as self-hating Americans. What do you think of my perspective? Uh, I think a lot of it is absolutely correct. I wouldn't argue with you, Michael. I know how much you know, and I know what how much you've seen, and you bring that to my listeners, and I love having you on, and we're going to try to keep you on at least once a month to keep us up to date on everything that's going on. Let's take a quick I'd break. I'd love to do it. All right, well, let's keep sure. a break. Let's get a break in here. i got to make some money, and then we'll come back, and we'll finish up our conversation here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, so let's finish up today's uh, edition with uh, with Michael Cutler. And, Michael, uh, again, uh, I'll be in touch with you shortly to set up uh, sure. for 2019 because there, there's going to be a lot of – now that the Democrats will have control of the House, there's going to be a lot of movement on this issue in 2019. So I want to have you on as often as we possibly can. So with that said, I'm glad to join you, Dave. Okay, michaelcutler.net is uh, Michael's uh, website. Go to michaelcutler.net. What's the front page website as well? It's frontpagemag.com. I also write for the quarterly publication, thesocialcontract.com. In fact, the quarterly edition, the fall edition, uh, my article became the inspiration for the theme of the edition, Sanctuary Country. Immigration failures by design. The idea isn't that we can't control who comes into the country. It's that over greed, we refuse to control who comes into the country. All right. Well, I got one of your friends coming on in the next hour from Front Page, and that's Jamie Glassoff. He's going to talk oh, to my us. editor. Well, tell Jamie I say hello. He does great work. It's a privilege to work with him, I can tell you. Yeah, we're going to talk to, to him about, of course, the jihadists, that people, since they don't see them, they think that they're not out there, and they don't know that our people that are on the front lines keeping us from being harmed by those people, sooner or later, there's going to be a, cha- a thing where they're going to be, the jihadists are going to be successful, and there'll be a breakdown with us, and uh, well, so, people, so innocent just, people will die. So let me just give you a parting thought, because this is where the fence again, or the wall comes in. There are terror training camps in the tri-border region of Brazil, where Brazil abuts with Argentina and Paraguay. 
Iran is certainly not a friend of the United States. There's quite a, a level of hostility, especially now that the president has properly um, you know, ended that ridiculous agreement that Obama saddled America and the world with, which would have guaranteed Iran a pathway to a nuclear weapon. Um, so we know that Iran has lots of people. In fact, there were a bunch of congressional hearings about this. I tend to read the hearings frequently. I've been before Congress as an expert witness 17 times myself in both the House and Senate. There was a hearing in April about how Iranian members of Hezbollah are operating throughout Latin America, working with human traffickers and the drug cartels to smuggle narcotics into the United States, number one, for money. Yep, we lost him. All right, we lost Michael Cutler uh, on that. Let him go ahead and try to call back, but uh, we'll try to get him back on. We, we're down to just a couple of minutes left, but we talked about this the last time he was on, and that is uh, the amount of terrorist activity going on in Central America and South America, especially through Brazil and Venezuela, uh, that is making its way up uh you know, the, the Central American Peninsula and trying to make it over our border. And, of course, that goes back to what the president said uh, to uh, Schumer and Pelosi in the Oval Office when he said they arrest 10 terrorists every day, or, or pardon me, every week on the border. So Michael is with us again. We're down to about two minutes, Michael. Go ahead and finish your thought. Sure. I, I just want people to understand that we know that sleeper agents have been entering the United States across the Mexican border. Yeah. How in the world you could not want that border to be made secure when you know that we have terrorists operating across that border and drugs coming across the border and uh, fugitives coming across the border is really an act of national suicide. And that's why the American people need to get the politicians to understand that we're on to them, that we understand what the dangers are. We understand how it undermines national security and public safety, public health, and the jobs for Americans. Please, folks, again, for your New Year's resolution, promise yourself and promise your neighbors that we will get involved. We will have the conversations with our neighbors. And when neighbors disagree with us, they're not the adversaries. They're misinformed. We need to be able to provide them with the truth and with the facts and hopefully win over as many people as we can. We should all be united as Americans to want to protect our country and protect our fellow citizens. Michael Cutler, thank you so much, Michael. You have a great uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and we'll uh, see you in 2019. Absolutely, and don't forget to tell Jamie I say hello. I will tell him so. Thanks so much. Again, michaelcutler.net is his website. You'll want to go there and uh, be, uh, you know, keep up to date on all the information and you know, he says, you know, keep in mind, tell your tell your friends and your neighbors, tell your older kids that are married and got kids, tell them to get involved. I know they're going to tell you they're too busy. Tell them you're not too busy to get involved. You have to be involved in this fight. All right, Dave Ellswick show coming up is Jamie Glazoff. He is the uh, front page man uh, magazine's editor he'll be with us and we'll talk about his newest book united in hate the left's romance with tyranny and terror that's all coming up here on the dave ellswick show so he stumbled in off the street that's why we're supposed to lock the door 
Zach. We're supposed to keep the door locked. Put up a fence. I, yeah, because Robert Put up can a get in here. Robert Steinbach joins us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. He is a law professor over at UALR. And, uh, of course, his opinions are his and his alone, not necessarily though those of UALR or the Bowen School of Law. Also joining us today, someone I've been excited that's going to be with us today, Jamie uh, Glazoff from Front Page Magazine. He is the editor, is with us today. And by the way, uh, a friend of mine who was just on with us in the last hour, Jamie wanted me to make sure I said hello to you, and that's Michael Cutler. He wanted me to say hello. Oh, fantastic. And say hello back to him when you're talking to him. Well, I will. Next time I have him on. Let's talk Let's talk about jihadism, because let me tell you what, that word hasn't been used very much now on uh, on uh, the media any longer. They're not talking about the jihadists up there. And Michael and I just got done talking about how in uh, South America you got all these ISIS training camps and things going on, how they're moving up through Central America, why it's important to, you know, fortify our border against and knowing who's coming into our country. We're in, we're in denial in this country. Absolutely, Dave, and that is what my book, She Had a Psychopath, is about, because part of that book explains she had denial and how our enemy has molded the boundaries of discourse so that we don't say that word. And uh, during the Obama administration, it was a catastrophe, because the Muslim Brotherhood front groups very early on in the administration directed the Obama administration to take all words, uh, jihad, Islam, radical Islam, all of all of those labels out of the intelligence agency manuals. And uh, that blindfolded us, tied our hands behind our back, because as Sun Tzu taught, you have to know your enemy. You can't even know your enemy if you can't say your enemy's name. So they've molded the boundaries of discourse. This is the unholy alliance, the left and Islam together. And uh, thank God for Donald Trump, because he's in their way. And as you know, he started saying some of those words, and mm-hmm. he's got wonderful people around him now, like John Bolton. And so we might be able to start protecting our society better with Trump now, because Fort Hood, San Bernardino, Orlando, Boston Marathon Massacre, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all of those attacks could have easily been prevented if we were allowed to defend ourselves by making a threat assessment but the left makes it impossible for us to make a threat assessment if we cannot label the threat. Well, I love uh, the the full title of your book, Jihadist Psychopath, How He is Charming, Seducing, and Devouring Us. I mean, that <laughs> well, he, okay. is, he is charming us. They are seducing us. You know... Oh. Mm-hmm. Go well, thank ahead. you. No, I, 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 thank you, Dave. Um, absolutely. So, look, for many years, I studied psychopaths, and for many years throughout my life, I also studied the left, and I followed, you know, studied communism and jihad. And after all of these years of study, studying psychopaths, and I study how they, you know, they put on the charm, they seduce, just the way that the serpent in the Garden of Eden, you know. The serpent was acting in Eve's interests in the beginning, but then once it gets got the claws in her and made her do what she did, it led to her downfall. The psychopaths learn from their master, so there's a process here. Now, 
all of a sudden studying jihad, I began to see that step after step after step after step, it's exactly the same process in terms of what they're doing to us. So that's what my book shows. My book shows who psychopaths are and what they do. And I show that the Islamization of America and the West is happening in exactly the same system uh, in terms of the same paradigm. I'll just give a very quick example because I give many, many steps. Just one example off the top of my head, but it's a crucial one. When a psychopath is with his victim and he has the victim in his grasp, the charm stage is over. The seduction stage is over. He's got the claws at him now. If you watch the psychopath's behavior with his victim, this is very, very typical. The psychopath punches him in the face and then the victim starts apologizing 10 seconds later. The psychopath, when he perpetrates abuse, makes himself the victim, and the victim becomes the perpetrator. Dave, if you watch very closely, watch when jihad happens, just recently in France, or even when it happens here. When it ha- whenever jihad strikes, watch Don Lemon, watch Anderson Cooper, watch Rachel Maddow, and what the establishment media begins to do when they carry water for the Islamic supremacists. Within 30 seconds, you hear this. The Muslim community is fearing a backlash. And then all of a sudden, Westerners are on their knees, pleading, begging for forgiveness. We're not Islamophobes. What can we do to you for you? We're so sorry. This is bizarre. But it's happening right before our eyes, and we think it's normal. After a jihadist attack, members of the ideology should be apologizing to the victims but the victims are apologizing to the members of that community. It's crazy, and it's very effective, and they're winning. Jamie, this is Rob Steinbuck. Let me share two quick anecdotes with you and have you comment thereon. Uh, I was traveling uh, through Israel with a colleague of mine from the law school that I worked at. He's now gone on to another law school. He's a white guy with a Jewish last name, although he happens not to be Jewish because he's, you know, split heritage. And But in his passport, he's traveled to a bunch of Muslim countries and the Israeli security said they took him. First of all, they did a strip search. Uh, They searched all his bags and they said uh, everything has to go under the plane. No carry ons for you. They were very polite about it. And his response was, I fully understand. I appreciate what you're doing because you're doing a threat assessment and there are enough indicators here that you don't know for sure. And so no problem. So I just I share that with you for comment, but how how people can appropriately react when they understand that a threat assessment is being made. And the second anecdote I want to quickly share with you that you're uh, likely familiar with was there was some terrorist act uh, during the Obama administration, and they reported out that the terrorist set, uh, screamed out, God is great. Well, he actually uh, screamed out uh, Alu Akbar, which is God is great in Arabic, and there is a difference, because that difference is relevant for the threat assessments. Uh, so what are your thoughts on those two anecdotes? Well, Al, absolutely, and thank you. You've hit the nail on the head, and this is the core of our terror war, of our culture war, and this is exactly how they're defeating us. Off the top of my head, I'll just say that my parents stood up to the Soviet Empire. They were dissidents in the Soviet Union. We escaped that monstrosity when I was a kid. And when we were here in America, in Canada, there were times when, uh, you know, the intelligence agencies, let's say, might have done this or that, just to check out these new Russian people, mm-hmm. right? 
We welcome that with mm-hmm. open arms. We love this society. We're grateful we we're here. But we understand there's a conflict with the Soviet Union. Yes, come into our house. Open doors. Take a look because we're on your side and and we understand why you have to check us out, right? Amen. So people who love this country should understand and have their uh, you know hands, you know, arm, embrace it. And so something has to be up with you if you're against that. You know, where are the loyalties? Now, also what you brought up, look, I will just say this, that, look, this is all deliberate. This is all by design. And I'm so glad you brought up the Allahu Akbar thing, because this this is critical. This Mm -hmm. is just a symbol of how the brainwashing works. I was just traveling recently and uh, staying at the hotels, and I just put it on the, you know, the news here, news here, you know, now, now Fox doesn't do it, thank God, but all the other establishment media, when I put it on, they were reporting a jihadist attack, and I heard it. It's exactly what you said. They say, oh, the terrorists screamed, God is great, in air, it translated from Arabic. That's very interesting. Why would you word it like that? Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. would, why, you know, so here's, just even to start with, he didn't say God is grace. He said, Allahu Akbar. God and Allah are not the same thing. Now, this is part of the jihadist psychopath tactics, by the way, because the psychopath always says we are a lot alike. I have a chapter on that. We are a lot alike. That's part of the seduction process. Our God is your God. No, 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 no. Allah is not God, number one. Number two, when they scream Allahu Akbar, it's, like, it's exactly like you said. It's when the jihadist says Allah is greater or great this. Now, guess what? If you're not on the wrong side of the cockpit and there's a devout Muslim screaming that and he's coming into the cockpit, that's not a good scenario for many reasons that we're aware of. Mm-hmm. But the key here is is how our enemy is brainwashing us through semantics, mm-hmm. through the permitted boundaries of discourse. And if we can't even say the things properly, how can we possibly defend ourselves? Well, Jamie, I have, a, I, I, I have very interesting conversations on my Facebook page, as you can probably imagine being a talk show host. But one of the things that I'm adamant about is the people who always want to say that Allah and God are the same. And I say, you're out of your mind. I said, does Allah have a son? No. Well, then he ain't God. Because God's got a son. His name is Jesus. What, what's wrong with you? You can't figure this out. I mean, in Judeo-Christian logic, this is, this is not logical for people to think Allah is the, is the same monotheistic God that we believe in. Absolutely. Again, the crucial issue that you're bringing up, and I deal with this in She Had a Psychopath. I also deal very much with the victims of the She Had a Psychopath, the victim of the psychopath that is desperate to be deceived. You see, what's happening in the West, it's a Stockholm Syndrome. Kenneth Levin has wrote about it in the Oslo Syndrome. There is a desperate need to be deceived, and we know many of these people. So therefore, the 
psychopath, one of the steps during the romance and seduction process is we're a lot alike. Me and you, we're a lot alike. Now, when we look at this in the stealth she had, the interfaith, you know, the interfaith conversations, now you're going to have the imams and the muftis approaching and saying, we love Jesus, we respect Jesus, and so many infidels and kafirs are just salivating there. Oh, oh yes, you love Jesus, we love Jesus, because there is such a strong need for communities under siege to be deluded. And I, and I, and I, and I give an account of this. I can't discuss it all here, but there is a need to be deceived. Now, so what you do and I do, it's very interesting how you can uh, crack right through the BS within 30 seconds. Because when I've had these discussions with them, they say, oh, we respect Jesus. And I say, oh, really? So let me see. Is Jesus the Son of God? Number one. Is Jesus divine? Number two. Is Jesus part of the Holy Trinity? And most importantly, did Jesus Christ die on the cross for our salvation so that we are redeemed and saved? And boy, do they not like that, like that conversation. <laughs> because they've got this Esau character in, the, in their Koran, but I'm sorry, that's not Jesus Christ. But see, we know how to get through this BS, but they're very effective in how they do this, because so many people do not want to face reality. They'd rather be deceived and think that the conflict will go away. All right, Jamie is our guest until the bottom of the hour. Uh, Jamie Glazoff is the Front Page Magazine's editor. We're talking about his newest book, Jihadist Psychopath, how he is charming, seducing, and uh, devouring us. How do people get a copy of your book, Jamie? Well, I think Amazon.com is probably one of the most easiest things to do. You can also go to my website, jamieglazoff.com, and I'm also the editor of Front Page Magazine, David Horowitz's website. Yep. He's a real hero. He's a former leftist that now is exposing the left for the malicious entity that it is. And so, yes, jamieglazov.com or go to frontpagemag.com. All right. If you hold on, we got to take a break. We'll come back. I'd like to have you talk a little bit about United and Hate as well. Now, I'll give you a few minutes to do that when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. Back with you. Let's finish up with our special guest, who is Jamie Glazoff. Uh, he's the editor of uh, Front Page Magazine. He's also an author. Newest book, you find it on Amazon.com, Jihadist Psychopath, How He Is Charming, Seducing, and Devouring Us. Another book that uh, is out there, United in Hate, The Left's Romance with Tyranny and Terror. That's a great uh, great title as well, Jamie, because a lot of people don't understand that the left in this country hates America. They really do, and they are all about wanting to put the average person uh, in tyranny, and they do it by terrorizing them. Well, absolutely. And look, uh, for instance, like Bill O'Reilly, look, he did some important things here or there, but I, I have to say one thing that was just awful when he had his show, he was always saying, why is Obama doing this? But why is Obama doing this? And he was always playing this, you know, fair and balanced thing, and he's confused about why Obama doing, is doing this. It's very easy. Just invite David Horowitz on the show, and he'll explain it to you. So why I'm starting off with that is exactly what you're saying, Dave. In terms of what the left is, there's a lot of people that think, oh, well, you know, they're naive. They're just trying to build a better world. No, 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 no. Malice and hatred. 
And just off the top of my head of why I wrote that book, why I'm writing Jihadist Psychopath, even right now, let's make it contemporary. ISIS. Donald Trump comes into power and he gives the authority for decision-making to the military on the ground. What happens within six to eight months? ISIS is decimated. Now, let me see. For eight years, Obama was in power. Now, how come he didn't do that? Hmm. You know, did he not know that he could do what Trump ended up doing? Of course he knew. So there's only one answer. Let me tell you something else. Phil Haney an officer of the Department of Homeland Security during the Obama administration was investigating Islamic supremacists, how they move within this country and how they move in and out of this country. His investigation was narrowing in on certain groups that included Saeed Farouk and Tafshin Malik. The Obama administration came in, shut down his investigation, and guess what Saeed Farouk and Tafshin Malik ended up doing? going on jihad in San Bernardino and killing American citizens. Now, let me see. If Phil Haney was allowed to have done his investigations, I wonder what that would have prevented. Hmm. Obama's got blood on his hands. Is it because of naivete? Or is it because the left is deliberately doing something to aid and abet those who want to destroy our civilization and kill our citizens? You raise a great question. I know the answer to that. You know the answer to that. Robert Steinbach knows the answer to that. Zach, my board operator, has the answer to that. It's just that a majority of Americans don't want to believe that people are that evil. You've hit bingo, Dave. Really what this is all about is a denial, the need to deny the existence of Mm -hmm. evil. It's very much rooted in that. And for somebody that has studied the left my whole life, I just will say this. It's very easy to go in that direction because the serpent's first lie to Eve was that you will have all knowledge and you can be God. You see, leftists are self-appointed redeemers. They are building a perfect planet. They can do it. And this is very attractive. But we know, number one, that there are limits to the possible. We know that evil exists. And in the end, salvation and redemption only comes through Jesus Christ. But... The left believes that it's the Redeemer, you see? Mm -hmm. And when you believe that you're the Redeemer, you also get to choose who is saved and who is damned. And therefore, we get the Gulag Archipelago. We get the Maoist killing fields. We get the Khmer Rouge. We get the Sandinistas. We get Castro's killing fields, you see? Because for them, it's the blood of man that redeems the earth, whereas for us, it's Christ's blood. All right, Jamie, I got to let you go. I appreciate the half hour. Uh, Frontpagemagazine.com, correct? It absolutely is. And check out the Glasoff Gang, which is my show, and we talk about all of these things at jamieglasoff.com. All right, thank you very much. Back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. Robert Steinbach is with us for the last half hour of live coverage. In, we're going to talk about something that you can hear next hour. And I want you to stick around for the next hour because I'm repeating what I did in the first hour because you're going to want to hear it because I played President Trump's speech to the troops in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. should definitely want to hear what he has to say about Syria. 
because he gets deep into that and it's really good he's i loved how he said we're just not suckers anymore we're not staying forever he says remember we went to syria supposed to be for three months and we've been there now for seven years so i i have to agree with the man you know let me offer a comment if i may yeah because a couple of interesting things first of all People have accused me, oh, you're a Trump apologist. All you do is agree with Trump. No, no. Uh, People who actually know me know that I don't agree with anybody just for the sake of agreeing with somebody. No. I don't even agree myself half the time. So (laughs) um, and so I think the Syria case is a very interesting case because I'm not an expert on the Syria issue. My initial reaction is I want the troops to stay, actually. Yeah. But here's what's interesting about that. So I think I want the troops to stay. I do not think the president's position is ridiculous. It's not. It's a perfectly reasonable alternative view. And now you have the left and some on the right saying, it's crazy. Mm. Wait a second. Here's a guy that ran for president, said we're involved in a bunch of crazy wars. By the way, Obama said that and the left loved it. They loved it. Right. And so Trump was anti-war as a general matter. Uh, and, and he said, I want to pull out troops. And he pulled out the troops. So he did and what he said. And if your commander in ch- or right. your army dis- defense secretary disagrees with that, right. he's got one way or to, uh, to go or not. Right. You either follow what the commander in chief says Absolutely. or you resign. Absolutely. He resigned. And that's perfectly fine. That's exactly that's right. right. It that's is right. perfectly fine. Um, and so what, what, what I find almost comical, if it wasn't so tragic, is how the establishment is lining up to tell us that the president is bonkers. You may disagree with him. I think I disagree with him on this point. I don't think it's bonkers. I mean, that that's bonkers. That's ridiculous to say, wait a second. We've been in this certain location for a certain period of time. It's a significant period of time. I, the president, think it's enough time. I'm pulling out the troops. That's my job. I'm entitled to do that. That's a perfectly reasonable position, even though I likely disagree with it mm-hmm. and that's the the funny part here is that the left is so unhinged and by the way the establishment right as well that they're not willing to say listen i disagree i think he's making a mistake they're saying it's bonkers because anything that trump does certainly the left and some of the establishment right so they, they just they can't even ha- handle it they can't control themselves it's always the craziest thing in the world look i can't argue with the president when he says, look, I allowed the military commanders to take over in Syria. They crushed ISIS. ISIS is nothing compared to what it used to be. And it's time for the people of that region to take it in their to own hands. Over. Here's my biggest concern about uh, Syria, again, with the caveat that now, I'm Assad is a nut job and, right. and so is Putin. Okay, I right. agree. Indeed. I'm concerned about the Kurds. The Kurds have been good allies, and I don't want them to get killed. And by the way, if you remember, George H.W. Bush uh, left the Kurds high and dry. Yeah, he hung them out to dry. He hung them out to dry. And so that was a bad thing. Uh, And I'm concerned about them. I'm concerned that that's going to happen again. So, And that's a real concern. Um, So that's why we – the president and I likely disagree on that. But again, it doesn't make his position ridiculous. And But here's the yeah, thing, ahead, Robert, and yeah. I, I bring this up because I think sometimes things that we don't think about, mm-hmm. and that is every day in the Oval Office, the president gets a threat assessment. That's right. That's right. He knows what's going on all over the world. That's right. We have, 
we don't have unlimited resources. Oh, quite the contrary. We, only, we have contrary. limited resources. So perhaps pulling back in Syria is because he's been notified mm-hmm. that we need those resources other places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will give him the benefit of the doubt. Well, and that. there's an alternative. There's an uh, additional basis that is legitimate, even if you come out the opposite way, which is these are our troops and they are ex- extended. Maybe one might even say overextended. And we have to consider the well-being of our troops as well. Now, on balance, again, I think I'm inclined to, to leave the troops there. But it's perfectly legitimate to say, listen. We've had these people in the field a long time. It's time to rotate them back. So that's the thing. It's, it's the failure to recognize the reasonableness of the alternative proposition. Here's the other thing that I think that he's correct on. Why did we leave so many bases and still have so many bases in Europe? Mm-hmm. It's a deterrent to the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. That's the only reason they're mm-hmm. there. I'm just mm-hmm. telling you, that's the reason they're there. He made the statement, and and you'll hear this in the next half hour. Stick around. We've got a huge couple of bases in Iraq. Mm -hmm. If something starts going wacky and sideways somewhere in the Middle East, we can launch hell from those places. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm I'm about what he's doing. Mm -hmm, I'm mm -hmm. I'm willing to stand back and and see what happens. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he didn't announce it, by the way. Did you notice that? Right. Right. He didn't say to the world, "Hey, I'm 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 taking off now." You know, right, right. we they'd already started moving out, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't know that he hasn't had negotiations with the Kurds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm sure we have. Yeah, to let I don't them know. know what's coming. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, we'll see what happens That's over right. there. That's right. Be honest. That's right. I like what he said in his speech. Also, when he said, "People say, well, you know, somebody's going to send." Uh, you know, some squad over from uh, Syria and they're going to attack the United States and hurt us again. He said that would be the worst thing they could ever done, uh, ever do because if they do that, they will not believe what will be unleashed on yeah, them. And yeah. with this president, I believe that. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. He'll tell the, he'll just tell the military commanders, yeah. sick them. Yeah. That's, I mean, right. that's exactly what that's he'll right. do. That's right. You know, and Mattis, I liked Mattis, but there were some things about Mattis I wasn't happy about. Right, right, right. You know, I mean, he he jumped all aboard about, uh, you know, transgenderism and all that. Hmm. I'm I'm not uh, in that. I mean, Listen, I don't I think, think I don't th- you know, even think one Corporal Klinger needs to be in the military. That was a good character in Mattis. <laughs> um, I liked Mattis. I respected Mattis. He's a and, good. He's a right, good general. And, and here's the thing. He disagreed with the president to a point that he didn't think he was able to continue to do his job and therefore did what one does. That's said, exactly I'm right. Done. Yeah. That's okay. Well, evidently, no the other thing that got under Mattis' skin was, uh, you know, Trump named a uh, army general to be the next uh, head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Okay. And Mattis, there was a. A Air Force, oh, Air Force, an Air Force uh, gentleman that he wanted there, uh, and he, I wasn't aware. they got a little sideways on mm-hmm. that too. Okay. Yeah. That's politics. No, that and that yeah. that's all that is. That's all politics. That's absolutely all politics. Yeah. Absolutely, it absolutely. Is definitely, definitely is yeah. is that. So yeah. we'll see. I'll, I'll be interested to see who is his next, uh, you know, uh, Secretary of Defense is. Yeah, uh, it w- it would not surprise me. If we know, if Tom Cotton's name doesn't come up oh, again, yeah. that would be a good choice. Came up the last time. That would be a very good wouldn't, choice. Wouldn't surprise me if it didn't. I don't know 
if he doesn't need some some additional seasoning, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so to speak. But uh, Tom's a good military man. He oh, yeah. he'd be good at. Oh, at, I think he'd be a good choice. Up. Actually, I got to be uh, honest with you. Uh, uh, you know, perhaps because uh, I'm not so young anymore, but I was uh, uh, relatively young in a number of jobs that I had. That this notion of seasoning, I think there's something to it. Meaning, you know, you can't be right out of grade school. But uh, I think Tom Cotton's been around uh, well enough that that should not be the issue. Uh, ultimately, obviously, it's entirely up to the president who he chooses. But yeah. I actually think uh, Tom Cotton. Would yeah, be, don't forget what yeah. the Bible says too. What Paul was talking to Timothy, he says, "Don't let them look down on you because you're young." Oh, interesting. All right, interesting. keep that keep that yeah. in mind. Yeah, yeah. Who we got, Zach? Who we got talking to us? All right, Larry wants to join us. He's got a question for you, Robert. Let's have it, Larry. You're up. What's uh, the question? Hey, good afternoon. Yeah. I have a question for the uh, lawyer extraordinaire. <laughs> he is here. Um, yes. Uh, has And this is changing the subject a little bit. It's about the bump stock thing, and I heard there's lawsuits and all kinds of stuff going to be happening. I was wondering what his thoughts were about the uh, constitutionality or unconstitutional or whatever. I'd just sure. like to know his thoughts on on that situation, what he thinks. It's a great question. It's okay. Great question. I'm going to let you go, Larry. I, listen yeah. in. All right. So uh, the president has, um, through regulation, banned bump stocks. As a general matter, it is it is constitutional. It is legal for the government to be able to do something like that. Remember that Justice Scalia pointed out in his pro-Second Amendment Heller decision and the subsequent one whose name I skips my mind. Yeah, the Chicago mind, one. Is the Chicago one. Um, that... Uh, regulation of guns is allowed. Reasonable regulation of guns is allowed. Uh, and it strikes me, without having done any deep analysis, mind you, that banning bump stocks, and I'm not saying I'm for it or against it, but it strikes me that one could easily make an argument that that's a reasonable regulation. There's a separate but related issue, and that is what is the process by which the uh, administration puts in place those regulations versus does it have to be legislation? And I don't know the answer to that offhand. There may be a uh, may be an issue in terms of the administration sort of unilaterally banning bump stocks without going through a full regulatory approval process or requiring legislation. And so I don't know the answer to that offhand, and I have yet to research it. Uh, but that's a process question. More broadly. As to the question, can bump stocks be banned by the government? I think the answer is is strongly on the side of yes. With again, not making a policy statement here, although I've never used a bump stock, um, but making a legal statement that that is one of the things that government can likely do under the Constitution because the Second Amendment forges us the opportunity to bear arms, but it, but like all aspects of the Constitution, it's not an unlimited right, although it depends how you d- define that term right because sometimes the word right itself defines its limitations in right. any event. So you had Heller versus Washington, D.C. That's right. That was the first one. And then you had McDonald versus the the city of Chicago. Right. With those two things in, let me just make a statement that it seems to me that the stories I've read about this don't don't dwell on bump stocks being made illegal. Mm -hmm. But when they were illegal for a decade. Were illegal, yes. Yeah. That people 
are being told they have to either turn them in or yeah. destroy them. Yeah, that's that, a more complicated yeah, question. Now, now, now that is where all, from what I understand, is where all of the yeah. argument that's, is coming. That's a real legal argument there, right? Because now you're taking away people's property, and now we start to talk about due process, mm-hmm. right? Because now the government is trying to take your property, and you need due process, uh, and can they just do that through regulation? That becomes more complicated, and I think there's a much more open question that once you start rescinding, when you force people to turn in guns or or gun equipment, uh, that's a that's a higher bar to chin. Remember the woman who ran for governor in Georgia recently? Yes. Uh, um, what was it? Abrams? Mm-hmm. And she said, uh, I have to point this out again. Uh, she said. Uh, um, when she was in the legislature, she wanted to put in a ban for so-called assault weapons, including requiring people to turn in their guns. And so then they said to her when she was running for governor, you wanted to, to take away weapons. From Confiscate. People. Confiscate weapons. Thank you. That's the exact right word. And she said, oh, no, I didn't. And they said, um, wait. Didn't, wasn't that your bill that was proposed? And she said, yes, but that was the beginning of a conversation is all that was. You see, that's leftist BS yep. garbage, right? That's what the leftists will tell you when they're, you know, they got your hands in their hands in your pocket, their hands in your wallet, their hands in your gun bag and in your gun safe. We want to start a conversation. But wait a second. You're walking out my front door with my guns and my money and my wallet. Yes, it's part of a conversation. Well, see, that's what you're hearing from Letting and from, uh, oh, I can't think of his name now, the, the other guy that's in on on all this, Will Bond, dealing about red flag laws. Right. They're like saying, well, we're not going to take away due process. Right. You'll be, you know, you get in front of the judge in a couple of weeks. Well, what do you do with the guns for that couple of weeks? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yada, yada, yada. I mean, and then when you and when this is being brought up, well, that's just the beginning of the conversation. conversation. Well, when you start a conversation, it can go one way or or two ways or three or a dozen. It could get worse. It could get better. You know, whatever. I'll tell you this: the phrase "that's the beginning of a conversation" that's a red flag. That's a red flag for liberals, leftists, uh, wing nuts. Taking away your rights. Now, I'm not. I'm actually not saying that you can't have some process to deal with people who are disturbed. But when they say <laughs> uh, we're starting a conversation, that you should be disturbed when you hear that because that is leftist rhetoric for watch out for your rights or watch out for your wallet. It's always a good thing to watch out for. Indeed, like I've always told you, with taxation, they've taken out uh you know they controlled your bank account right by taking away your ability to get your own health care that you want they've taken away the chance to take away your life that's right i mean they've they've and that's bottom line they're trying yeah. to contr- completely control you yeah well, absolutely. that's what the left is trying to do absolutely. make no mistake about it that's what jamie uh Glazoff was talking about as well and why i'll never vote for a democrat I'll never vote for a liberal. I'll never vote for a socialist. And I definitely would never vote for a communist. Some of you would. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. We're back with more. All right, back. Let's finish it up. Don't forget, in the next hour, we're repeating an hour for you because we got the president's speech for you in Iraq. I talk about why the wall is so important. And uh, then I spent the last, oh, about six minutes talking about that gentleman uh, that 
walked 930 miles by himself over Antarctica. Wow. Dave, let's, t- let's take a few minutes, if, if you don't mind, on the wall. Yeah. Because I, I'm just driven crazy. Perhaps it's a short trip, mind you. But I'm driven crazy <laughs> when I hear the left. First of all, they say, well, this is an 8th century solution for a 21st century problem. Yeah, because there are a bunch of scientists and historians all rolled into one. It's yeah. remarkable. But here's the second thing. The notion, right? Like, is a wall simple? Has a wall been around for a long time? Yeah, sure. So is the fork, right? So is the wheel. <laughs> so is fire. There you go. Right? Oh, do we still use wheels? Do yeah. we still have fire combustion engine? Do we have fire to, mm-hmm. that is part of the furnace in our house to warm our house? Do we lock our front doors? Do we have fences? So this notion, oh, well, it's old. You know, old used to be good. Right? I mean, I drink I drink wine. I don't really drink much wine, but I drink wine out of a wine glass. So did Jesus. <laughs> I guess I can't use it anymore. That's old school drinking. Yeah, it is. Right? I need some sort of collapsible hologram type cup or something <laughs> because that's that's zero century technology. That's I mean, it's just crazy talk from the left. And, and then, oh, well, if you build a 30-foot wall, they'll build a 31-foot ladder. But by the way, how many 31-foot ladders? I'm not saying you can't build one. I haven't but, seen right, one. Right, but how many of those have you seen? Second is, you, you, you think the obese guy and the pregnant women are going over a 31-foot ladder? <laughs> right, meaning, you're going to deter some people from even trying. You're going to slow down others. You're going to stop some. And guess what? Yes, that's right. A few might actually make Here's it over. Here's the key, though. And Michael Cutler was on today talking about this. And that is the wall is not there just to keep people out. Right. We just want them to try to come in at the proper place. Right. It, it directs people. That's both, exactly both why physically it's there. and through incentives because it's a challenge to get over a wall. Uh, it directs them towards the right place. Is that everyone? No. But by the way, why do banks have vaults? Because all vaults are impenetrable? No. It's just harder for uh, uh, someone who wants to steal money from a bank to get into a vault than if they left it out open on the counter. That's correct. That's not complicated. No, by the way. It now, is for the left, though. Exactly. You know how long vaults and safes have been around? Oh, my no, gosh. Don't even thousands start. Of years. Wait, wait. I can, am I allowed to say that? Am I allowed to say that? You know, the scale. Went to measure weights, thousands of years it's existed. And it was a great invention, but some people misused it. You know, they put right. their thumb on it. That's right. Therefore, we can't use it anymore. That's I'm wearing right. a watch. Maybe I'm a little old school. I'm wearing a watch. <laughs> you know how long a watch has been? That's a, that's I got a watch. It's yeah. on my phone. <laughs> it's on your phone. It's old school technology. Yeah, merged right? with new school technology. Yeah, exactly. But I'm wearing an old school real watch. Yeah. And no. you know what I use it for? Does your have a battery in it? No, mine's wind up. Oh, you got a winder? Oh, yes. Okay. This is my grandfather's you got the watch. Stem. Yeah, I got the stem and everything. So you know, and this is the thing: is it does it tell time? Yep. Do I use it to tell time? Yep. So I, I just can't stand the the left is always preaching to me. This is how you must think. This is what you must think. This is what you must do. And I'm like, I'm scratching my head, and I said, but. I've got a fence. I've got a wall. I lock my doors. I lock my windows. These are all analogous to the point. I create physical barriers between me and the outside world as a form of protection. I guess I'm living in the 8th century. You are? Yeah. All right.
We'll have you back next week. I look forward to it. I'm on Monday, right? Yeah, I'm covering for you on Monday. That's what I just said. There you go. Yeah, I was waiting for you to say that. <laughs> You'll go. be here on Monday, all right? I'll be back tomorrow live with you, and we'll have the Geek Squad in, and we're going to talk about what were the biggest successes in 2018 and which movies were the busy, biggest disappointments. Plus, we'll do a half hour or so on what's everybody expecting from 2019. All that's for you tomorrow. See you at 2 o'clock. God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.